Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men pursuing faith, character, personal growth, and meaningful friendships. If you'd like to learn more about us and our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. We hope you enjoy this lesson from our series called Genesis, Why Is It This Way? Well, it's wonderful to be with you guys to talk about Genesis 26. I'm going to talk about inheritance tonight. In the United States, one of the most significant events is underway that is going to shape this country for generations to come. A report by Cerulli Associates indicates that $84 trillion will be transferred from, transferred from baby boomers to their children over the next 25 years. This will be the single largest transfer of wealth in the history of the entire world. All of us will be impacted directly or indirectly by this tidal wave of money and assets being transferred. Sadly, this monetary inheritance has been preceded by a transfer of family emotional issues and parental failures. The pursuit of personal wealth and happiness has been the focus of my generation, largely at the expense of the health of our marriages and our children. And you'll say, well, that's not, that's not what's going on in our church. Well, our church doesn't necessarily represent what's going on in the world, you guys. There is a dramatic loss of families and marriages at the pursuit of wealth that's happened in this country. The impact of these issues on our culture will be dramatically compounded when the money hits the accounts of our children. One of the key issues tonight, one of the key ideas is that family inheritance comes with both good and bad. Isaac was born into a wealthy family with a father who was obedient and he was abundantly faithful to God. In Genesis 26, his parents had died and he had inherited their estate. And while Abraham had passed along an immense amount of wealth and a deep, deep love for his son, he also normalized lying modeled poor family leadership, and had sex with a slave woman that created an entire nation of people who would bring pain and heartache to Isaac's family for thousands of years. Isaac received both blessings and problems from his family inheritance. So in tonight's lecture, I'm gonna explore three aspects of his inheritance. The first is how he handled the family estate when the famine crisis hit. Second, we're going to look at lying and how that had been normalized in his family. And lastly, we're going to look at the wells of God and how they provided support to his inheritance. I pray you're going to be inspired tonight to see how God can use all that you have inherited, all that you've inherited, to make your life a source of living water for all those around you. Let's open with prayer and let's let God speak to our hearts. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Father, help us hear your voice. We want to give you a good 20 minutes now, Lord. Help us shut it all down and just listen to you, Lord. Help me not get in the way, Father. Let your Holy Spirit speak. Help him speak, Lord. Help us hear you, Father. Help us hear what you've given us, what we've inherited, and allow it to change us so that we can use it for your glory, Lord, and bring love and life to those around us. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. In Genesis 26, 1 through 6, there was a famine in the land that forced Isaac to move. Isaac's first challenge with his inheritance was how to respond when the food and water disappeared. A lack of food and water were a serious threat to his family because it was built on animals. He had a lot of animals. 
That was the bulk of his wealth. And so he had to have water for all the people and the animals. Isaac did want to go to Egypt. That was his first thought. I'm going to head to Egypt. But God stopped him on the way there and said, no. He appeared to him and said, stay in Gerar. This is where I want you. God promised to bless Isaac in that land, not in Egypt. He did not want him in Egypt. God promised to give his family all of the lands in Canaan, including the land of Gerar. Now, as a tie into current world issues, there's a map up here. I think it's going to come up. Taylor, you got it for me? That's going to show where this land is. So there it is. So if you take a quick look on there, you could see Gerar. And if you look at that dotted line area, one of the key areas you want to notice is Gerar is in what is modern day Gaza. So you could see Gaza on the coastline. And that's where that is where modern day Gaza is, is in that whole strip on there. So Gerar is in that area that we know as the Gaza Strip. And we've all gotten very familiar with that now. It's the home of two million Palestinians. The people living in Gerar during the time of Isaac were called Philistines. The Greek translation of Philistines is Palestinians. The Philistines migrated from the island of Crete to Gaza when they took over that land in that era of time. In Genesis 10, where we were told that those Philistines who came to that land were from Noah's son Ham. It gives us very clear. Just go into, uh, into Genesis 10 and you'll, it'll tell you. He didn't come from Ishmael. They came from Ham. And they lived in Greece and moved to Crete and then came across the Mediterranean and moved into that land. So the first inhabitants of Gaza were these Philistines, these Palestinians. Years later, the Jews were told to conquer that land by God. They came in and conquered the land and took it over by force. And so what we see today began 4,000 years ago, a fight for the land. Whose is it? One of the key ideas is that life will introduce significant challenges that will come from whatever you inherited from your family. So now's the time to start thinking about what did I inherit from my family? I'm going to describe three types of inheritances that often create challenges for us. Money, debt, and emotional trauma. And now I know all those are not the whole batch of what you, can, uh, what you can inherit. It's just all I've got time for. So I'm just going to use these as a framework for help, just to help you start to say, what did I get and how can I use what God's given me? Let's start with money first. Some men do, in fact, inherit wealth. And everybody thinks, man, if I just had more money, everything would, great, would be great. Well, I can tell you that's not always true. Think about, for example, what happens to lottery winners. 70% of lottery winners go bankrupt in less than five years. And the statistics on family wealth, wealth that was generated by the first generation and passed on to generations, is typically gone by the third generation. G3 typically loses everything G1 made. So guys, huge increases of wealth that were inherited often get lost. Huge increases in wealth often hurt people because they have no idea how to handle that money when they've gotten given a large sum, and they have absolutely no idea how to handle the people that want to take that money from them, and there are a lot. Inherited money can also be a blessing. I don't think we all think of it the same way, though, but think about money in this way. Men, women that have inherited or have built a wealthy a fortune in some way are often the people who have built our hospitals. They're the people that have built our churches, the nonprofits, and the schools, all funded by private wealth. According to a 2015 study, this will shock you, 
Christians control over 55% of global wealth, Muslims 5.8, and Jews 1.1%. Doesn't that shock you? God clearly wants his money in the hands of his people. Think about our world without Samaritan's Purse, without the Salvation Army, without all the hospitals, without the elementary schools, the high schools, the colleges. Think about all of the businesses that have poured into this country that are run by Christian men and women that are changing the landscape of this country. Think about all those being removed from our country and what this country would look like. Just think about that. If you ever want to read wonderful stories about people who have stewarded their wealth well, get on the National Christian Foundation website, NCF. Get on the National Christian Foundation, NCF website, and you'll see page after page of amazing stories of people who have said, it's not mine, I'm giving it back to God, and you will be blessed. Guys, wealth can hurt us, and it can also help us. Some men inherit debt, like me, for example. My stepfather died in 1988 and left my mom with one heck of a mess. That mess became my mess when my mom called and asked for help. My other brothers and sisters said, I don't think so. I leaned forward and said, it's mom. I think I got to help. What I landed on when I got there was a giant building in Hammond, Indiana, an old steel foundry loaded with debt and in Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And I'm 27 years old with a chemical engineering degree and absolutely no idea what to do, and I wasn't born again. That's a bit of a mess. But by the end of that, I felt I had to help my mom. And little did I know, in the Bible was this one commandment, the fifth one. And it says this, honor thy father and mother. And if you do, it will go well with you in the land that I've given you. I didn't know that, but God did. He made that promise. And I inadvertently followed that by honoring my mom and helping dig that mess out. 32 years later, I sold the company that was built from that mess. And so many people asked me, how did you do that? And it was simple. I simply said, God honored his promise. I was just faithful to the commandment, honor thy father and mother. God did the rest. I didn't do anything. I just did what God asked me to do. And this is what we see tonight with Abraham and Isaac. They're just being good to the promise God made. The third and most common inheritance is heartache and trauma. My birth dad, I had a stepfather, that was the guy that left the mess with my mom. My birth father left another mess. My birth dad gave me that mess when he left when I was a year and a half old. Abandoning my mom with four children left all of us in a very, very dark place. Those emotional wounds got transferred, not when he died, but the minute he left. But in the end, the emotional pain from my dad is what led me to Jesus Christ. It has given me a heart of compassion for other men without a dad. And that's why I love so many of you guys, because you share that same wound as I do. That's what caused me to bring Jesus to people in our company. We had lots of men without dads in the company I owned. And when I went to Africa, I met a lot of men there, too, and we brought Jesus there. And it's what caused me to start a Bible study fellow clash in Chicago. And it's what helped me start with my son's heart of a man. What the devil meant for pain for me, God turned into an inheritance that would build something for his kingdom. 
How can God use the family inheritance that you have received for his purposes? In Genesis 26, 7 through 11, Isaac lied to manipulate the king of Gerar. His father Abraham used this technique twice, and both times it worked out pretty well. He made a lot of money. Looks like it worked pretty well for Isaac as well. It appeared lying was a common behavior of that family and their culture. You know, I had heard about cultures that normalize lying. I didn't really know they existed until I read this. And then I was doing a transaction. And this guy called me out of nowhere and he said, Bill, there's a garlic shortage in the world. I'm like, really? That's not something I think about a lot. Um, and he said, yeah, China's got a problem. Mexico's got a problem. We need, some, we need a bunch of garlic. And, and we know you're working over in North Africa. Can you help me? And I'm like, I don't know. That's not a market I play in, but let me get to work on it. So I started calling guys. Ended up call, talking to this guy that worked for a king in a, in a country in Northern Africa. And uh, I told him what I was looking for, what we were doing. And we were just having a really good, things were going well. The transaction were moving. We were talking about a lot of garlic, like many truckloads of garlic. And uh, ultimately, I said, why are you working with me? Like, I don't, I don't understand why we're having this transaction there's a lot of guys you could be talking to why me and he said it's really simple bill when we work with people in our culture they all lie in business deals our king loves working with Christians because you guys don't lie I had no idea lying was normalized in business in other cultures I didn't I had no idea until he told me that and I know what happens in the USA. I think we all do. But it's not considered normal or right. We all take that for granted. But the Judeo-Christian value of, not, of lying being bad is something that we've always embraced in the American business. So let me be clear, though. God hates lying, you guys. Psalm 119 says, I hate and detest falsehood. Proverbs 12 says, the Lord detests lying lips. Acts 5 says, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you've lied? And John 8 says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you carry out your father's desires. When he lies, he speaks of native, his native language, for he is a liar, and he's the father of lies. Guys, when we lie, we carry out the desires of the devil, not God's. I've grown up seeing lying as a normalized behavior expressed as exaggeration. And some people say, that's just my Italian culture. And I'm like, that's an insult to the Italian culture. Let's not go that far, right? <laughs> but my family used exaggeration. I remember being at family parties, and there was lots of hyperbole in all the stories. And so you learn to be very hyperbolic and everything. So it's like, yeah, I grew up with that naturally. I've also seen it used by Christians when we say, I'll pray for you with no intention of ever doing it. When do you use lying or exaggeration to your advantage? One of the key ideas in this text is that people tend to normalize sinful behaviors. Normalizing means that we live out a sinful behavior so often, and because there's no immediate consequence, we start to believe that that behavior is acceptable. These normalized behaviors can easily and often unknowingly get passed to our children, and they become part of our family and our community culture. So let me give you some examples of normalized sins from my own life. That way nobody gets mad at me, all right? I'll just describe me. Here's some of mine. Criticism of family members is meant to help them. I can spend money any way I choose, regardless of how people around me feel. I have the right to talk to you with abusive language and a condescending attitude when you hurt me. The primary use of my time, assets, and relationships are to benefit me, since I've spent an entire life 
earning those. I'm not good enough, so I need to perform better or I'll be rejected. And the last one shows up. It's the most, it's most, it's the most insidious. It shows up as hard work and perseverance, very hard to root out. But the driving force behind that is anxiety and fear. It's never spoken. It's just lived. At this stage of my life, I see my sons fighting to unwind anxiety and fear and realizing it came from me. So many guys say, isn't it awesome to be able to work with your sons? And I said, absolutely is until you start to see the sins of your life showing up in theirs. I believe that lie that I'm not enough. And I work incessantly to prove that it's not true. And now my sons have come to believe it too. Guys, normalizing lies has significant consequences. I've seen some in the church as well. Some like, sound like this. My behavior around Christians should be different than when I'm around others. My homosexual friend is a good person, so I should accept his homosexual lifestyle. The amount of money I give should only be controlled by the joy in my heart. And the way I use my time has no reflection on my love for Jesus. These are normalized, sinful attitudes that I see often in the church world. And they're lived out a lot. What sinful attitudes have you normalized that are being passed to those closest to you? In Genesis 26, 12 through 32, the move to Gerar brought opportunity for Isaac. Kind of like this part of the story. I'm a business guy. I worked in agriculture a little bit. When Isaac saw the land in Gaza, he was like, whoa, good agriculture here. This is going to be profitable. He knew there was a famine. He needed people food. He shows up. He sees this very fertile land. He took advantage of the famine in Israel, grew crops, fed starving people. Wasn't rocket science. But it paid off handsomely because God blessed it. The Bible said he reaped a hundredfold of his investment. And when Abimelech saw how much money Isaac was making on his own land, I, I, I mean, Abimelech had to be saying, we can, why didn't we do that? He's got to be looking at his guys going, how is he growing those crops and making so much money? That's our land. Why didn't we plant those crops? Good question, Abimelech. Abimelech didn't like that, so he demanded that he leave. And then we see the rest of the story. And what's the focus of the, of the story? It's on the wells. The wells. It's not hard to understand that Isaac needed a lot of water to care for his people, his herds, and his flourishing agricultural business. Wells were the key to getting water. And God knew Isaac was afraid again that he was going to run out of water. He saw him running, trying to run to Egypt. He's like, stop, we got water here. Now he's worried about his water again. So he's like, stop worrying about the water. And after Isaac returned to Beersheba, the Lord appeared to him. Look at this sequence, guys. God said, I am the God of your father. Do not be afraid. I'm with you. And Isaac responded, how? by building an altar and calling on the name of the Lord. And then how did God respond to that? By making that well bring forth water that his men were already digging. Don't you love the sequence there? It's just beautiful. And then what happens? The power of God was so stinking evident to Abimelech, he comes running with his tail between his legs. He's like, you, this God you worship is clearly powerful. We want to form a treaty with you. The story about Isaac and the wells points to God 
and his plan for this family of Abraham. It was because of God that Isaac was in at the right place and he prospered. It was God who strengthened his faith, his faith by reminding him of the promise that he made to Abraham. It was God who provided a loving mother and father who helped Isaac experience and trust the love of God. It was God who allowed Isaac to experience the prosperity of the land so Isaac would know that's where God would have him live and that's where God would be living with his people. It was God who brought the enemies of Isaac to his feet to make peace with him. These wells were God's way of saying he is the source of life. Isaac Isaiah the prophet, hundreds and hundreds of years later, said this, with joy you will drink water from the wells of salvation. And Jesus connected these wells with our spiritual life in John 4 when he said to the Samaritan woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks this water from this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up for eternal life. As Jesus stood at the well dug by Isaac's son, Jacob, he said, Jacob's well, Isaac's son dug that well. And Jesus said that at that well, he explained that he, Jesus, is the well of eternal life and his Holy Spirit is the water that flows up from the well. This is what he's describing. So one of the key ideas is that God has created every believer to be a well of living water that creates abundant life wherever we live. Think about this. When we were born again, we received the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. We're told that in Ephesians 1. We're given the Holy Spirit as what? as an inheritance. The Spirit is the living water, Jesus described, and when it fills us up, it overflows to the people around us. Think about it. When the Holy Spirit's overflowing you, what do you look like? You look like a well in a desert that's overflowing with water, green all around it, plants, trees. It's beautiful to see, isn't it? That's a Christian who's got the love of the Spirit overflowing him. The apostle Paul describes it this way. He says, this living water comes out of us, and it looks like love. It looks like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Guys, our physical presence in the life of others brings this living water of the Holy Spirit into the lives of everybody around us. God places wells in the deserts of men's lives. And your well is created to be dug in the same type of desert in which you were broken and lost. Your unique life story makes your well the perfect source of life for men who have suffered the same way you are. Isn't it just a beautiful thing? You are a unique well built by God. And you know what the name of your well is? <laughs> relationship. Through a relationship with you in person. Think about this. The relationship with you in person, not virtual you. Not Instagram you, not text message you, not email you, not Zoom you. No, no, no. The relationship you have with another man, another person, the physical body, you hug them, you touch them, your hands, your eyes, you can smell them, you can hear them, you can sense their presence. There's something between you, your physical presence. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, came in the flesh. Not virtual Jesus, no virtual Jesus. 
He came in the flesh. And when that man shows up, men experience life. This life comes from us. It comes. The giving of love of Jesus flows out of you into the presence of another man. You're a well. And when those men experience that, they meet Jesus. And when they meet Jesus, he then gives them eternal life and fills them with that same life-giving Holy Spirit water. That's what he's describing here, you guys. That's what these wells are. How are you bringing life to people around you? Think about yourself that way. Are you a fountain of life where you're planted? Is life coming from you? Because it should be. You're filled with the life-giving spirit of Jesus himself. You should be a well. Isaac had men who were afraid of his prosperity, so they plugged his well. They filled him full of dirt. Guys, there's times when we also experience our well being filled with dirt. But I would say most of that comes from us. My well does not produce living water when I have unconfessed sin in my life. My well doesn't bring life when I'm working to prove I'm good enough. My well is shut, just completely a lid on it, when the fear of my childhood controls my behavior. And my well is dry when I am focused on personal pleasure and comfort. What is stopping you from being a source of life for people in need around you? What is the dirt that's filling your well? When the Philistines were filling Isaac's wells with dirt, he did four things. The first thing he did is he avoided conflict with those people who tried to hurt him. He didn't fight the men who filled his wells. He moved on. Romans 12 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I could tell you guys this. When I feel like I've had injustice done to me, my natural instinct is I want to get justice. But every stinking time I do that, every time, I end up feeling worse. I feel guilty. I feel ashamed. I get a harsh person coming back at me. Now I got to deal with that problem. And it just snowballs into nothing but bad. Nothing but bad. When I release the injustice to God, he just somehow takes that away from me and it gives me a certain amount of peace and my well gets back open. Isaac did a second thing and he went to the places where he had experienced God in the past. He went to Beersheba. That's where he grew up with his dad. His dad went there after they came out from Mount Moriah. That's where he spent life with his dad is in Beersheba. He goes back to Beersheba. For me, guys, I've always found that God comes to me when I am broken in spirit and I confess my sins. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Confession for me is a place where I am certain, I'm certain I will find God. Because every time I'm broken and I'm on my knees and I'm asking God to forgive me, he shows up there. I go back to the place where I experienced God and it's the place of confession. The third thing Isaac did is he made an altar to God and called upon his name. Guys, we must go to the ancient wells that have been used for 6,000 years, praying, fasting, solitude, scripture, church, and worship. These are the ancient wells. They've always been open. They're filled with living water, and they always will be. These disciplines are what men have always used to call on the name of the Lord, and those wells are still producing life-giving water 
go back to those wells. And the last thing Isaac did is he started to dig. He trusted God will provide the water, so that man got to work. He didn't wait for the water, he started to dig. We just have to start helping people even when we don't feel like it. That's what a guy that as a life giver does. Life-giving people just start helping people even when they don't feel like it. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Our greatest challenge is finding men who want to help other men. We need each other, guys. We do. We all need each other. And if you step up to start helping other guys, God will equip you. I promise he will. And he will open up your well to start producing life-giving water in ways you just don't understand. God's looking for an obedient man to step up. That's all he's looking for. And he will create water when you start to dig. The story of Isaac's inheritance helps us see three things. God gave us an earthly inheritance, which we must learn to use for his purposes. And God wants us to recognize and leave behind the sinful behaviors that we've normalized. And lastly, God has given us a spiritual inheritance that we need to use to bring life to those around us. I'm praying tonight you'll have a desire to take all that you have inherited and allow God to turn it into that which brings life into this world. Let's close with prayer and then we'll come up and take a photo, guys. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. Lord, thank you for the inheritance that we have been given. It is good, Lord. It is really good. And Lord, even in the broken, even in the bad, you use all of it. All things for the good, Lord. You use it all. Lord, help us see that and relish it and be excited about it, Lord. And help us this week see ourselves as a well of life-giving water and help us pour that out to a parched, broken desert of men who need us, Lord. Lord, help us fill in now. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.